everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with someone whom I'm very excited to see because it's been too long, Larry Miller. Hello and welcome. You know what? Thank you. I'm still just smiling because that the theme song is terrific. Thank you so much. I mean, it really... And I'm saying this to all, all the folks out there. Isn't that, isn't that great? It's in show business and we love it. We love it. Allison and, and uh, Colonel Jeff and I love it. It's Three I, showbiz veterans together yeah. again, just like old times. That's exactly right though. Mm-hmm. Just like old times and driving up to your house is gave me a big, uh, big smile. True. I was late, but that's. If- Larry, <laughs> you were three minutes late, which as I said, when we discussed this previously, that's early. That's right. For show business, that's early. Although it dawned on me uh, a few years ago that I think for my entire adult life, I've been 17 minutes late. And I'm not really sure why. I don't know why. Because hmm. I used to think I was on time always. But I, I don't think I am. But that's also... But well, then I'm, you work really early today if you're only three minutes late. That's right. That's crazy. That's like being there early. Yeah. If you're just three minutes late. And uh, yes, also, and I have, as you two guys know, I have my own show, The Larry Miller Show, which is a podcast that Colonel Jeff produces. And uh, we were there this morning and did that. And then we went to lunch together at Jerry's. And the reason I'm saying this to let folks know, we had plenty of time and then still didn't quite make it. But as you said, for show business, that's fine. I mean, it. you are so punctual. Overwhelmingly punctual. When you leave and I turn to Jeff, what I'm going to say is, my God, was he punctual. (laughs) That'll be right after. You know, I don't like him anymore. (laughs) I feel something changed. That was a disappointment, but he was so punctual. No, that's I'm not going to say any of that. If you want, I'll comment on the punctuality, but... I, I don't care what anyone says about Larry. He's on time. <laughs> That's one thing you can always say about him. But actually, this discussion of time and punctuality and you being 17 minutes late reminds me of something we talked about a long time ago. You were discussing when you're late to get somewhere and you're in traffic and there's nothing you can do about it and like a, a sense of serenity comes over you. That's to, right. Which I thought, wow, what a novel way to live. Because I don't have that reaction. I have like, I have a, a very nervous, oh no, I've got to somehow figure out a way to get there faster feeling. Right. And it's, I think that's very important. It's a key element of your life. And this is a, a good tip maybe for everyone listening to the show. You know what? If you're in the car and you're going somewhere, you know where you're going. You're not irresponsible. You didn't put yourself in a position to be late. But if you realize, whatever the reason, traffic, it doesn't matter what the reason is. If you realize you're going to be late and it's going to be two to 20 minutes late, you know what? So what? You're in the car. Relax. I don't mean just relax and turn music on. Just breathe. Accept Accept it. it. In through the nose, out through the mouth and say, you know what? It's a beautiful day. I'm alive. All these people around me are alive. Although I wish three or four weren't. (laughs) 
And then, but yeah, it's a good way to live. You, you know what? Let go already. And even coming over here, you know, not to beat things into the ground, but you know what? I'm just looking forward to seeing you. And all right, if it winds up being a little later than I thought it would be, because I was going to get, I was going to get your son a present. Oh, that's so sweet. And uh, that's so nice. It, just the thought is present enough. I, you know what? I'll go with that. But it, it's going to be for you. I was going to get a bottle of wine. Oh, because I thought that just the thought that thought is also enough. Yeah, I, I agree again. But <laughs> the the truth is that kids at a certain point you say, especially with babies, you know, they get enough presents, they see enough, yeah. enough gifts, and sometimes mommy and daddy could use you know a nice bottle of wine. And I say that by the way, it wouldn't have been a bottle of wine; it would have been whiskey or gin or something. You know, it's because you keep going. Right. It's like being in. Got to escalate. Yeah. I was going to say it's it's like being in Las Vegas where you say, you know what, just one hand. <laughs> and uh, four days later, you realize, <laughs> I don't think I ever wore a barrel like this. <laughs> so I was telling Jeff, I was listening to the Larry Miller show today, and I was thoroughly enjoying it. Thank you. Good. Are you having fun doing it? A lot of fun. I think this is great for people like us. In fact, I want a better word than podcast. I oh. think that podcast is a dandy word. It's fine. It's it's what this is. But I think what we do, I think it brings out a big part of you and me and people like us. I remember when I, I, I wrote a movie that I was in, in fact, which is a great coincidence. Don't you How, think? It's, yeah. It's, I hope the audition process wasn't that hard. It was. <laughs> and I got the uh, a lot of good feedback. But when folks were younger than 25 or something, they were saying – Wow, it was so – the way you spoke, they were describing us on shows like ours, like these, because they didn't know that in older eras of show business, that's what people sounded like. Mm -hmm. Well, you sounded like a person I've never heard before. Well, that's what it should be. It should be something new to you. And it's, hey, listening to this guy is interesting as a character, whatever you're playing. But So that's the way I write. That's the way I perform. And, and you too. So what are you suggesting they could be called? Do you have an idea? No, I was going to think of it, but I was late. Uh, <laughs> you know what? No, I don't think – I haven't thought of one yet. I haven't spent any mm -hmm. time on it. But uh, I just like the, the basics of, you know, the Larry Miller Show. I like your title. I like that show as your new best friend. It's fairly straightforward. Right. It goes right at it. That's right. And I like that. Thank you. As do I. So I know that you dropped your su your second kid off at college, right? How did That's that right. go? That was just a few days ago. He was ready for it. I was uh, I was telling Jeff earlier about eh, Norman Rockwell. I think is always great, but he has a one painting of the the farmer takes his son to the bus stop at the you know wooden bench, and it's right in the middle of farm country. He's there. The farmer Rockwell is always great. He drew the hands. They're mm. farmers' hands. And the the man isn't tired or annoyed. He's he's working that day, and he's uh, he's there because he loves his son, and he's taking his son to put him on the bus. And the son is next to him, and it's just perfectly drawn. The son is seventeen and wearing a jacket that says "State," and has his bag there next to his leg, and he's kind of got the cap in his hand or the the old uh, hat in his hand, and uh, he's you know he can't help glancing down the road. For the bus. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it should be. He should be excited and at 17, really ready to go. And that's the way 
my son was off to college, and um, we have another son, his older brother, who's a Marine, and he is right now on his second deployment. Where is he? This may sound crazy, but I've been asked not to say. Oh, that's fine. Because he's had a couple of deployments, and there's something. His commander asked me each time that there's something about show business, and I don't quite know what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. But they don't want you yammering. Broadcasting. About- that, that makes sense, actually. If it they're do- doing something important where they need a little bit of secrecy. Yeah, they do need that, among other things. Plus, they're all naked at a certain you know point on, the, uh, on those missions. That's a deployment. <laughs> no, I-, <laughs> I, was, I was unaware of <laughs> this twist. Well, that's something else you're asked not to talk about. <laughs> that should they be like that? I know. By the way, when he graduated from uh, boot camp, there are two. There's one near San Diego, the MCRD, and then there's one in uh, off of the coast, Paris Island, I think it is, and that's uh, back east. And uh, his sergeants, the drill sergeants, these are tough young men. They've mm-hmm. seen it all, and they themselves have been deployed many times into where in harm's way naked and, and naked <laughs> it just it just seems it seems like clothes would be a more prudent option but i'm not a military person so, so you and i, I understand know. that yeah by the way next time i go to the base there i know everyone's going to come up and go you think that's funny <laughs> we're not with naked all, with all we face already first of all <laughs> i thought it was but no now i can see that it's not but he at the at that one point when we picked him up when he graduated from boot camp, we were still on the base there, mm-hmm. still at the recruiting base and the training base. And we went to this marine museum there, which is just wonderful. It's not like a giant Fifth Avenue museum. It's better than that. It's really wonderful. And his sergeants, he uh, he never told anyone that my wife and I are in show business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they didn't know that. And they were really happy to meet us, and they really were, well, very gracious and, well, impressed, because everyone, who doesn't like show business? So in the museum there, as soon as they came up to say hello to us, it's funny, you could see my, my, my kid, you know, did that, that straight, and they, they trained them well, and they, the curved fingers are right near the seam of the this or whatever it is, he's straight to attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were, they were, you know, laughing with me, and they asked me a couple of questions, and uh they said, he said, yes, okay, bye. So we spoke for about four minutes, and then they, they left. And uh, I asked him, was that a little awkward for you that your drill instructors, you know, came up and we were just uh, chatting? And he, because he had a confused look on his face, <laughs> and he said, no, I'd just never seen them smile. <laughs> and wow. we both realized, you know what? Good, first of all. And that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. They mostly get the inch away from the face shouting, mm-hmm. which is which gets your attention, to say the least. But I thought, well, that's pretty neat. And they came up to him that night. One of the sergeants came up and said to him, so the same thing, you go, go to attention, and he gets and he gets up and he said, you never told me your uh, dad was an actor, a comedian, and uh, why not? And he said, uh, well, I didn't want to be known as like, you know, Hollywood Miller or something like that, <laughs> or just uh, get a nickname. I don't think nicknames go away soon right? in in the core, but I mean, and he said, I decided I didn't want to be pegged as anything. I wanted to be here and learn to be a Marine and a good Marine. And the sergeant, you know, just looked at him and just said, good, good for you. And he, he was pleased to hear that, but he's a, he, he's a great guy. It's funny, after his first tour of duty, 
the first deployment, which is in it. He was mm-hmm. in it, and uh, he was fine. And thank God, and they well, they lost some guys, but then uh, he came back, and and my wife and I were okay. We weren't sleepless. We weren't. We're proud of him, and we're proud of what they're doing. And in any case, when he got back, I uh, went down there to pick him up, and it was like. Well, it was like a movie. All had the little flags, and so that when they come off, that you could be there. It was really wonderful. But he had went through debriefing and such, and then we the first uh, weekend after that. What is debriefing? Oh, it's where they go through everything they did, mm. and they question them, and they check information with them, and uh, plenty of clothes. Everyone's dressed. Finally, you can't stop. <laughs> Finally, clothes enter the picture. <laughs> I, now I can't stop saying it. I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll be spoken with. But at any rate, <laughs> and he said, uh, so 10 days later, after everything got back to him, he's at the base there off of San Diego. So my wife and I uh, said to him, uh, so uh, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, we thought we'd uh, come down and, you know, and with his brother too, and just see you and spend some time and, and walk around the base. And he said, I can't. Uh, this weekend, uh, a couple of uh, his uh, platoon mates and he, we're going to down to San Diego for the St. Patrick's Day parade and to hang hang around there, and that terrified me. <laughs> the going to right. here at war. No, that's fine. That's what that's what it is. Mm, that's protected. That's right. <laughs> somehow, but St. Patrick's Day. I've been to those, <laughs> so that I know about. Yeah. You're and you're going now. <laughs> and he said, Dad, I'm over 21 because he just turned 21 a few days before coming back. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know how old you are. <laughs> I was there, you know, for the whole thing. But that's part of what it's like. It's wonderful. Very proud of him. And uh, think of him all the time. But it was the same. And he was fine for St. Patrick's Day. But I know what happens there. Well, when I would come home from college and stay with my parents during summers, my mom would want, you know, what time are you going to be home? Can you let us call us if you're going to be late? Let us know and all that stuff. Whereas when I was at college, it's like I wasn't checking in all the time. So I think there's also this like when you're sort of in, when you're local, then there's more worry maybe. Or is it just what goes on at a St. Pa- a, a lawless St. Patrick's Day parade? I think it all comes under the umbrella of we're out of our minds. Yeah, I mean, we're just, that's all, all parents. And then with the, uh, with the other one off to college now, I said, he had his first day of classes a couple of days ago. So I just sent him a text. I know all the words. And, uh, <laughs> you're staying so current. I'm very impressed. Yeah. No, I, I didn't say I know what it was. Okay. But I know the words. <laughs> but he, I said, you know, uh, so how'd it go? How was your first class? Just I hope it's fine. And uh, I think that has a feeling of hanging over them a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. He sent me. Oh, that's good that you're sensitive to that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it is. It's probably good for us to be. But well, you'll see that too. That uh, every time you know, every second you're around your kid, you know, uh, you can looking and thinking, "What is that? A knife?" <laughs> because no, it's fine if it's a knife, but give me the knife. <laughs> right. And uh, that's part of what the joy is. For everyone out there who has kids, they know too that whether they're newborns or, or six months old or, or five years old or all along the way, there's no end to the affection and the commitment that the parents have to the children. I actually don't know how I'm going to handle it. Now, granted, he's six months old now, so I have a lot of time. 
and he's especially vulnerable seeming now. But I don't know how I'm going to handle it when he gets to an age where he wants to do something that strikes me as dangerous, whether that means going to school <laughs> or skydiving or I mean, the things that went to my mind is like, what if for spring break, he wants to go somewhere that seems dangerous? Or what if he wants to study abroad? On the face of it, that seems fine. But I don't really know. And you know, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to let go. So I don't know how you deal with having a Marine for a son. I can tell you how you're going to let go. Okay. It's because you listed school and then skydiving. It's that <laughs> all of those are kind of about the same. And <laughs> To me, they all seem – they're all things where I don't have eyes on him. Who are you talking to? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same lunatic you are. Right. And by the way, there's a skydiving story that I think is very good wisdom for you and everyone out there. That's a true story. All right. If I must. <laughs> I was about to say, that's that's funny too. All right. Because <laughs> you don't think it's a good story. You think it's, you mean someone did it? But it was, <laughs> this is a few years ago. And Seinfeld, whom you know, whom we all know, and then everyone out there knows, decided he wanted to go skydiving. He wanted to, well, he's crazy too. Everyone's crazy. Mm -hmm. But he went skydiving and they go through a, Full day of training, and then you're going to jump once at the end of the day at about three or four o'clock. And he was prepared, and he's he's a sharp guy. He wants to do what he's doing. And the uh, the instructor, who's a military man, also said to them, he gathered all the fellows together just before they got on the plane. So it was about fourteen, fifteen guys. And uh, he said, "All right, now listen to me." Nothing's going to go wrong here. You have this and this and that unit and this and that strap is secondary and the, the, the tertiary. There's a second, third, fourth thing. Nothing's going wrong. But I'm telling you right now, if everything goes wrong and nothing opens up, nothing, you're going to be hitting the earth again at about 200 miles an hour. But I'm telling you right now, the last 10, 20 seconds, while you're coming down like a bullet, I want to see you, every single one of you, pulling that cord again and again and again. Don't you ever stop and don't you ever give up. You just keep pulling that ripcord. And it doesn't matter how fast you're going, keep pulling that cord. And I remember he told me that and I thought, that's a very wise story for all of us. You know what? No matter what, skydiving or not, it doesn't matter what it is in life. If everything goes crazy and you're shooting down at 200 miles an hour and you've got another 10 or 20 seconds before you just smoke it into the ground, you keep pulling that cord. And don't you ever start going, ah, ah, ah. You know what? You just stay focused and pull that cord. I think that's good wisdom. And I, I hope folks out there think the same thing. I'm going to take that with me. I remember you doing the don't go, ah, 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 reminded me of labor uh, for a <laughs> second. And I remember a nurse saying to me, don't freak out. And having someone yell, don't freak out at you is not soothing. So then it was like I had to freak out just to spite her. Well, that's because she didn't know who you were. I do. But again, it's <laughs> Why weren't you there with me? And I probably would have gotten to say the same thing. <laughs> Because that there's a wisdom to that too, and you know what? She's not wrong. Don't freak out. I, I have a, but I I personally have a little bit of a like. 
if someone's going to shout something at me, I'm going to do the opposite just to say to them, get off my back. Do you have that? No. That's good. Briefly, no. (laughs) But uh, no, I don't think I I do. We're all a little crazy. And again, people in show business are a little nuts. But no, I I think I understand what you're saying, though. I, I don't want her to say something and then me just do it. So I'll do something else. (laughs) Well, that's all right. Well, when you put it that way, it does sound a little crazy. Yeah, but it doesn't stop us and it doesn't help us. It's all right. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be a little crazy. You know what? It really is. You. Every time I've spoken with you, you seem like a very grateful, well-adjusted guy. But I know that that can't be true. I'm semi-joking. Right. What are your demons? Demons? Or darkness. What's the dark Larry Miller? Well, that's. I think we. I think we all have one. I mean, uh, let's see. I should have a better answer, or at least some answer. I don't know. I think uh, not finishing work or not working as hard as I am about the things we do, writing a script or mm-hmm. or speaking to your agency or manager, and not being as smart with them as you should be. I don't know what else. I think I'd rather get along better with everyone I love. That includes you two. But I mean, <laughs> uh, but but when you really love someone, like your family, you know, get along better. Just just to, it doesn't mean I'm angry or cranky. Well, I am. Come to think of it, it just. But maybe that's it too. Maybe we all just get a little crabby and a little cranky, and we don't, as the nurse said to you, don't freak out. <laughs> Well, maybe we all do somehow. Mm -hmm. And I'm not pushing that away from me. Maybe I do too. But I loved doing the show today with Jeff. And then, and I loved having a bite together for lunch. And that's not kidding. This is great. This is a great show business day to me. You do two shows. One of them is mine. And we have the same producer, someone we care about a lot. That's a great show business day. And after this, I said to him earlier, I said, why don't we just go for another meal after this? <laughs> and that's a show business day, but it is. If I sat down again at 7.30 tonight and started writing something I haven't written in a while, that would be great. But well, that's that's a heck of a show business day. That's really putting a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, just saying, you know, there are people who keep working and keep pounding away. I, I hope I do too, but we'll see. And the same with Colonel Jeff, you know, that – He's great at what he does with these as as a producer, as a writer, as a thinker. He's funny and just, you know what? So he has the same pounding to do himself. And he's always doing it with not only our shows, other shows. I know. He cheats on us with all those other shows. And you know what? That's a way we might put that. (laughs) But it's, of course, it's, it's not true. He does. No, it's not. He does all the things and he puts them in order. So you know what? Are there people who are – I know I've read about the greatest stars of, well, the last 70, 80 years. But reading about them and wondering, even as a kid, John Barrymore would go on a three-year safari. Even the phrase of that is, really? <laughs> and yes, yes, he did. Well, what about his kids? Indeed, what about them? And what about all the drinking? Same thing. What about it? Well, you know, you ever read that in show business about how people come onto the sets? They would drink mm-hmm. all the time. But like Mad Men, I remember in uh, with Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole. What was the name about the uh, the Archbishop 
of uh, of Canterbury, the first one of the oh, I can't remember the name. Terrific movie though. But they said to each other as new friends and as colleagues, we're going to be in this. This is going to be a good movie, a hard movie for us to make these characters. So let's just say no drinking for either of us during the shooting of the movie. And that'll help us as individuals and it'll help the movie. So no drinking. And they both agreed. Burton said yes and O'Toole said yes. And then they just said at a certain point O'Toole was saying they were two months in on this and they're just standing there at, uh, you know, back at uh, base camp, so to speak, which is called where the, uh, where the director is and the producer is and they're standing there and just, uh, you know, just... Uh, just saw the scene, you know, on, on that go by. And uh, without anything being said, O'Toole said, they just looked at each other and just kind of nodded and went, yeah. And they <laughs> went out together that night and just got loaded for the rest of the movie. I don't, I'm not saying, oh, what a terrific thing to do. I'm just saying that's how folks were. Mm-hmm. And just, just wild. They had things at the table, at the table, at the craft services table. Have when did you do your first movie? Oh, I think I should know this, right? <laughs> well, roughly. 88 or something like that. <laughs> it's a good story, too. I had one line and I had seven auditions for it, mm-hmm. but they were very nice. They just, they liked me and they, and they, I got the part. That was my first part. And it was one line. Th- yes, Three Amigos with um, Nick Nolte and Martin Short. And somebody else, another amigo. Well, maybe it was a different title, but the point is that. Well, Three Amigos was Martin Short, Steve Martin. Was it that movie? That's right. No, Chevy no, Chase? no, okay. no, no. And so they commit a, a crime, and it's in the police station. I was one of the cops, full uniform, and uh, well, I was. That's him, the PBS job guy. I think I was better at it. <laughs> no, that 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 came alive for me. <laughs> I see why you got the part. Three fugitives. That's it. There we go. Thank you. Yes, it was. And um, that day, I did all sorts of stuff. And then it came into the police station. And that was going to be my, you know, my one line. And they, uh, the director, they, it was for an escape scene. And the director gave up the set to the stunt coordinator, who was the stunt director, and very famous in the whole world of stunts. And he set it up. And I had already done the line. That's him, the PBS guy thing. And he... He set it up. I was so happy to be there. I'm in a movie, mm-hmm. and it's a movie with stars, and it's a real Hollywood movie. So I didn't leave the set after s- saying my line. I was still standing around, and I didn't even notice they brought on a whole new cast who were stuntmen. And I'm still standing there in the same uniform, and I'm just still, I didn't want to leave the set right away. <laughs> so he. The answer is yes, if you see this coming. So the stunt coordinator comes over, you know, packs everybody up to explain what he's going to do. And he says, he looks at me, right at me, and he just says, okay, we're going to start with this man right here. Now, now, uh, now Nick, you're going to, uh, he'll be in the, the front end here. Now you're going to, uh, once they all realize you're the, you're the crook, you're going to escape. And you want to, so you're going to you hit this man in the face with the bag. That, that was me. And... <laughs> They, uh, that was going to be the start of the escape. Mm-hmm. So there's 20 stunt cops there. And Nolte, who's a, as you know, a great actor. He's just terrific. And he's, when he hits you in the face with the bag, he's not kidding. 
And so he, right, let's, and then he says to me, now you're going to, after Nick hits you there, you fool over that bench. And then everybody, the other, other officers that fall on top of this man right here. And he says, and by the way, it's a concrete floor. It's a studio. Mm-hmm. It's a stage. And so he does that. I'm in front of the prow of the ship. That's him, the the PBS uh, guy. Guy thing. Guy thing. And and uh, Nolte, you know, acting in there, but the you know, camera's behind me, so you can show Nolte reacting. And he takes that bag, and they put books in it to give it heft, so that when he swings it, it really looks like something. And it was. Mm. He's right, right. Uh, let's give it a try and action. And uh, Nolte <laughs> takes this bag and swings it, and it hits me. Right in the face, flush and bang! Oh, I mean, that's not kidding around. That was the things wow. that whether it's a pre- professional wrestling, but pick your image. It was seven times harder than that. He hits me right, and I fell over the bench without acting. <laughs> I just uh, fell over the bench, and then everybody falls on top of me. All the other stuntmen, and they fall on you to look like real action elbow in the chest and you know when they're falling on doing everything and this doesn't sound like acting or stunts it just sounds like violence yeah well that's what that's what i was thinking as i got hit with the bag of books and then they they write everyone all right back to one and they they, which means let's you know get back to our basic positions we'll Mm -hmm. do it we'll do it again right okay now nick you go outside five the same and give them instructions and now everyone all the makeup and hair people and the medical people come over to me because I'm bleeding. Mm-hmm. And they come over to me and the top lip is cracked and it's blood and I'm, and I'm a little woozy. And uh, they fixed me up and cleaned up everything. And finally going back to one and action. Bang! <gasps> same thing right in the face with the bag of books. <laughs> and that's, and I, same thing. I, Fall back over the bench and elbow in the eye, you know, and right. It goes through. We do get this 11 takes. Oh my God. And on the ninth one, one of the other stuntmen who were all behind me mm-hmm. came up to me and just and, uh, said to me, you know, I got to be honest with you. We're all really impressed. We can hardly see you hold your hand up to block the bag. <laughs> And I said, as I'm being, you know, put sewn together again, I hold my hand up to block the bag. What? Uh, why didn't you say hold your hand up to block the bag? And with the lips going, flat up, flat up. Oh, my and, God. And we get it at 11 takes, and the stunt coordinator, so now I'm, well, it's like I've been... Shut up with dizzy drugs. I'm. I just. I can punch drunk. Yeah, and uh, he comes over to me. He said, uh, and he we introduced each other. He said, Larry, Larry, I have to tell you something. It was terrific work. He offered me a job. Wow. On his permanent crew of stunt men because he also could hardly see me hold my <laughs> hand up to block the bag, <laughs> and I said to him because that night, by the way. You know, we're in show business. And that night, I was in a play that was working at the cast theater here. So after this, I was going to go back to my apartment, shower, and go to the theater. Mm-hmm. And after that, I had a set at the improv. My word. And so, because who's, who's in show business? We are. And 
so you know what I said? I I told him, you know, the truth. I said, I yeah, I'm not a stunt man, and I and I was uh, just uh, standing around enjoying being on the movie set with you, and I'm glad it looked good. And he said, it looked great. <laughs> it uh, because I was just a guy shot from behind, not holding anything up Mm-mm. to block the bag, and. Uh, <laughs> That was my so that was my first movie, my first line, my first movie. That's amazing, and I I loved it. I didn't know. Hey, stupid! You know, maybe you're just not smart enough to know how to hold your hand up or I, to ask. I prefer to think you just were really committing to the role and putting yourself in service of the story being told. You know what? God bless you. I know you're kidding, but yes, that's exactly but that what is I was what you doing. Were doing. Yeah, yeah, that actually is. What I was doing, getting ready for action, ah, bam, and uh, that was the first one. And I never worried about it, never thought about it afterwards. In fact, I was so happy being on that set at lunchtime. I still in uniform. You're not supposed to do this. This is uh, kind of illegal or against all the rules of uh, SAG of actors of, of of any stripe. But I went out. I left the set in the uniform. Mm. And it was Los Angeles police PD uniform. And I went to get some, I just kind of felt, well, groovy. (laughs) And I drove around and get myself, I got us, I didn't even have the lunch on the set. I got some kind of, oh, you know, whole wheat sandwich at a place. And then I walked into a post office to get some stamps. And the man behind the desk at the post office came out to, take care of me because I was in uniform and there were another 15 people in front of me, but that's what they do. That when an officer comes in or, uh, you know, a fireman, a firefighter, they, they, they come in and they'll always take care of them first. And I'm glad to hear that. That's nice. But that's when I realized, well, I shouldn't be off the set in this uniform and the gun I'm carrying you know, it was made of soap, but I mean, it's not soap, but it's rubbery. And mm-hmm. so that was my first day in show business in movies. What made you want to act? Was And was the first ambition comedy or acting or something else? Well, that's a good question. I, I think they're all the same in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. You know this. Everyone listening knows this. Sometimes you laugh at things that are very dramatic in the movie, but it really it's done so well. I just saw Pulp Fiction again about a week ago. And if you've seen it, I'm sure you've seen it, folks. And, you know, remember that scene where they're in the car just after killing the the guys who didn't give the bag with the light in it mm-hmm. to Marcellus? And at any rate, they uh, said to the guy that they said, Come on, you know, they take the guy, whatever they're going to do with him. He's in the back seat, and they say, I can't believe that those bullets all, you know, missed us. And then uh, and then Travolta, you know, leans in back in the uh, to the seat and says, what do you think of this, Marvin? You, you, did you, you see? And then the, his answer is, man, I didn't, I don't even know. And Travolta is, uh, says, well, you, you got to have some opinion. And you don't even notice, but he's leaning over the seat with, with the gun, and suddenly the car hits a bump, and it, bam! <laughs> And it's just, he blows his head off. And it shows it's well shot, too. Well, it's Tarantino, but I mean, mm. it's beautifully shot. 
And the whole inside, you see from the outside the car, from the back, you see the inside of the rear window just, and you know, it's all blood and right. chunks of things. And they, they, well, I started laughing when I first saw it. I've laughed every single time since at that moment in the story. He just, they're just having a discussion based on something crazy because they're in whatever this business is they're in, they're gangsters. Mm -hmm. And Marvin, what do you even think? And this is as close to a real discussion as they've ever had with a civilian. And they, well, here's what he thinks. He thinks his head has just been blown off. But that's the point being sometimes if you laugh at that, and I I have to think everyone laughed at that the way I did. Yeah. I don't have a, a, a dark, awful sense of humor, but it was so well done. I laughed. Well, why is that a joke? Describe what's going on in the movie, and it's not a joke, but it's hysterical when it's filmed and you see it. That's a roundabout way to answer the question. You know what? I love comedy. I love drama. Sometimes they're really all the same. And, uh, you know, I just got that other one that popped into my head from the great Casablanca. Dear God, with Humphrey Bogart, Claude Rains, so many great actors in that. And Ingrid Bergman is oh so many, but they uh, does that. He said, "Why the the Nazi colonel Major Strasser tells Claude Rains to shut the place down, shut it down now." Can okay, everyone you see? This is why I complained about this and that. And he comes over to uh, Bogart, and they're they're friends. But right in the club, there he says, "You know, uh, also the, the club is shut down. It's 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 down. It's you're out of business right now." And Bogart says, "What are you What are you talking about?" Why, why, why would you do that? And uh, and uh, Claude Rains just says to him, "I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on here." <laughs> and and at the exact second, it's very well directed. At that exact second, the uh, croupier from the gambling room comes up and hands Rains his money. Said, "Oh, your money, sir." It's, oh, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And he just walks away. But it's so well done mm-hmm. that it's hysterical. If you don't laugh at that, I'm not sure you know how to laugh. I saw two old movies that I hadn't seen recently. This is going to offend you that I hadn't seen them. But one was Casablanca, which I loved. When I say recently, maybe like within the last two years. So that feels recently. And then I saw Manchurian Candidate, which I had never seen. Sort of. And maybe I feel like to say it doesn't hold up is not fair because that would suggest that I had seen it at one point and it felt like it held up. I guess just comparing the two, I just felt like it wasn't as good. But you're nodding. Do you love it? Yes. And I understand what you mean, though. Casablanca is maybe one of the three or four perfect movies to me that we've all ever made in the whole film industry. And The Manchurian Candidate, though, is just beautifully done. You know that uh, Angela Lansbury plays the mother, the mother of Lawrence Harvey, mm-hmm. who's one of the soldiers. He's all twisted around in this, right? And there's another element you begin to sense in the movie that there's some kind of well inverted attraction between the two of them, even mm. though they're mother and son. And there's a kiss they have, yeah, that's both. Troubling and fabulous. It's just so great. And she holds her right hand up to his face, not to hide it, but as she's kissing him and she bends in 
and they have that kiss, it's perfect for the movie and perfectly crazy in its way. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's interesting to note that outside of that movie, these the two actors there, Angela Lansbury and Lawrence Harvey, two great, great actors. Angela Lansbury was just two years older than Lawrence Harvey. And so she wasn't cast as his mother, who's going to be 35 years older than him. Mm-hmm. She was cast as Angela Lansbury, looking the way she does, which was just beautiful. But there's a big holy mackerel to that. Mm-hmm. And that's it's so much in that movie is all involving, well, the mental torture, what they put these Those scenes through. were amazing. Yes. The sort of the way that they saw what was going on versus what was going on. And yeah, it's worth a a good movie. Just for some reason, I didn't walk away being like, wow, that was a masterpiece. I understand. I I understand what you're saying, but as your friend, and I would say that to everyone listening as well, see it again. Okay. And as life goes on and you know, just, just watch it. And it won't mean that you're accepting something bad. It'll mean that, well, there are lots of movies you see. I remember, oh, for goodness sake, the uh, movie about Jake LaMotta with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. And the first time I saw it was when it was out and new in New York. And I remember seeing it and not thinking so much of it. Mm. And even, even as I left, I was there with a friend, another comic. I just, yeah, I'm not, I'll be honest, I, I, I don't, I'm not knocked out by it. I don't think it was that good. And I was wrong. And I saw it again as life goes on. And I've probably seen it 50 times since. I don't know how there's not one inch or grain in that film that's not just magnificent. And the way they act, the way it's written, the way it's directed, good Lord. Kathy Moriarty, wow. In any case, that's another example. If there's a movie out there you haven't quite liked, well, you may be right. You may be the one person somehow, you know, just also, or there may be other people like you. I think it, it was a really good film. I think it just didn't quite live up to what I had expected of it from hearing about it for all these years. It might just be that. But you know what will live up to your expectations, Larry? What? Beachbody On Demand. Perhaps you're familiar with uh, Insanity, P90X, like you know, really famous exercise programs that in the past you had to buy all these DVDs and then tote them around. Well, no more. Now it's a streaming service. You can work out in the comfort of your hotel room if you're traveling. You can work out at home, work out at the post office. I think people would look at you strangely, but I'm just saying this works on it. It's accessible on your computer, your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device. And I mentioned those, like P90X, Insanity, et cetera, but they have so many other exercise programs, like more than you could even possibly do in one lifetime. They have one called 21 Day Fix. So let's say you have an important event to go to end of the month. You're like, how am I going to get in shape super fast? 21 day fix. Hello. And you can get a free 30 day trial. So you could actually do the whole thing. And then like within your free trial, I don't know that they want me to tell you that they also have three week yoga retreat. They have a program for pregnant women, which I did while I was pregnant. Um, it's divided by trimester. I did it in my second trimester. I thought this is going to be a piece of cake. I worked out before I was winded within 10 minutes and it was much longer than 10 minutes. 
So it's uh, they're they're not fooling around here. These are intense workouts, and it's so convenient, so amazing. They also have uh, the brand new first of its kind cooking show for healthy weight loss and portion control called Fixate. It teaches you how to cook healthy, delicious, and simple recipes for you and your family. So this is a brand new service, but it already has over a million members, and my listeners can get a free trial membership. Allison Rosen is your best friend listeners. I'm talking to you guys. To get your free trial membership, just text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030. Again, text Allison to 303030 and get full access to this entire platform for free. First of all, okay. thank God. It's about time somebody got it together and solved everything like this. They really put a little bow on everything. <laughs> By the way, you reminded me, I just had a really good part in what I think may be a terrific movie. And it's called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Bigfoot. <laughs> and this I is, knew, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. This, this is the movie that you are filming in the town that still looks like 1763? Yeah, Deerfield and, in Massachusetts mm-hmm. and Old Deerfield and all the uh, cities and towns around that. Beautiful part of our country, Western Massachusetts in summer. It's hot as Western Massachusetts in summer, but it was great. It's uh, also starring uh, it's starring Sam Elliott, who's a great actor, and I'm playing his younger brother, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy to have been there. And I think that maybe that's one of those that may be the greatest title in the history of Hollywood. The, the man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. You know, and I want to say, what's it about? You know what? I told the director, Bob Kraskowski, who's just a young man. He's 32 years old. He's directed before. But this, I really think, is going to bring his name to everybody out there, to all of you listening. And uh, I said to him, "What? Uh, listen, for you, every interview you're going to do about this movie, when they say to you, what's the movie about, you can just say to them, have you seen the title? <laughs> because look at the title. That's what the movie's about. What do we mean? The man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot? Yes. And well, what's it about? Past? Just see the movie <laughs> and that's the title. But it was wonderful. And that's, I'm very glad to be in it. It reminded me of that. <laughs> Thinking of Beach Buddy Bingo or whatever that was. Beach Body On Demand. But I want them to come out with a new separate service called Beach Body Bingo. Because it's fun to say. I know. Where was that from? Why did I say that? Beach Blanket Bingo? Is that Beach Blanket Bingo? Oh, yeah. And uh, which was... Annette Finicello and Frankie Avalon. Boy. And she was also someone who, well, God bless her, she's passed on now. But she was always not only a terrific actress, but gorgeous. I mean, she was just... No one was like her. Mm Mm-hmm. And you just looked at her and said, uh, you know, whether I was as, as a kid or, or a young adult or the mature man I am now, but that it was, you, know, you could look at her and just say, yes. Well, wait a minute. There hasn't been a question. doesn't have to be a question. The answer is yes. Well, you mean just yes, just yes. <laughs> um, let's take some questions that uh, listeners sent in on Twitter. But first, I want to tell you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, Perhaps something we've talked about on this show. Perhaps any of the many movies, Beach Blanket, Bingo. My brain, my mouth wants to say Bimbo. I feel like that's <laughs> like some other kind of movie. Um, click through the banner on my website, 
AllisonRosen.com. There's an Amazon banner there. Click through. Doesn't cost you anything extra. Helps out the show. Let them know we sent you. Also, I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash AllisonRosen is where you go for that. Um, there, It's really fun. There's all these different reward levels so you can get extra bonus episodes. Just did our second bonus episode with none other than Colonel Jeff Fox. Really peeled the onion that is Jeff. And it was really fun. Whenever I talk about Patreon, for some reason, fun is my go-to word because I feel that it is fun. It's a lot of fun for me. I think other people are having fun too. So bonus episodes, there's um, access to a video stream. There is a level where you get bonus. Fun and bonus is what I say. There's a level where you get merchandise in the mail. Check it out, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And if you like what you're hearing... I don't know that I can stand behind the last 20 seconds of me saying the word fun that many times, but if you like the other stuff you've been hearing, iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go to subscribe. Okay, let's do some questions from listeners. When we ask, they send them in, they're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Smart, fun, and funny. <laughs> okay sunlit cactus says what's his pettiest pet peeve Whew. boy that's a pretty good question my pettiest pet peeve well i guess maybe it's the ego we all have but i i guess i want to start by saying none of them are petty <laughs> you know that these are things that are important to change because i say so no, but that's, of course, just being silly. That's being 10% silly. Mm-hmm. But the pettiest of pet peeves? Boy, I... Uh, well, they're they're petty, but things you get to, you don't act on. I just One happened today when we went to lunch. It's a, you know, Jerry's, it's a great place. I'm there all the time, and, and Colonel Jeff and I are there after our show quite a bit. So when there's uh, the guys, and they're all fine folks over there, and that's no kidding. And the guy, one of the busboys... Went to get me, I asked for an Arnold Palmer, which I'm sure you know is uh, iced tea and lemonade. And they're pretty good. May not be the best drink in the world for you, but they're good. And anyway, I said, you know, I wanted just a cold drink. It's so hot here. And I wonder, you know, just give me a you know, big glass of ice with a big Arnold Palmer. And he just gave me, there was just a thin layer of like four ice cubes at the top of the glass. <laughs> And when he brought it, now I'm not going to say to him, pardon me, I'm just curious, are you stupid? <laughs> you know, I, I and the, but, you know, you'd kind of think that, not that he's stupid, he's a nice fella. He went out of his way to come over and get us some things we wanted. And, but that's not what I wanted. And I was going to pay for it anyway. I wanted a glass full of ice. And I, I what, I don't care what it costs, 75 cents, a dollar 10, whatever an Arnold Palmer is, but, I wanted it full of ice so that I could stir it with the straw. And then when I take that first sip, it's cold, as cold as I want it. And it wasn't. So is that a pet peeve, I guess? Is that petty? Gee, I don't know. I I suppose it is. But I wanted a really cold drink. And as you all know out there, nothing is free and... When the check comes, you'll pay for whatever it is, and you're happy to do it. You're grateful to be able to do it. But that may be the pettiest of pet peeves. Now, I feel bad now that I that I called the immigration people on the guy. 
I, you know, that's, I understand. It was the heat of the moment. Well, I thought you'd, you'd say something like that. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, that's the, that might be a good, the pettiest of pet peeves. Lee Brun says, now that his kids are all gone and the house is empty, any chance of adding another doggy or kitty? Well, sure, we have two doggies. And uh, we both got them in the, well, in the same. The first dog, the one oh, uh, I just love is, uh, God, it's the third thing we got from, uh, they always send me to get the doggies to the uh, people. There are two ladies who run a, want to pl- run a place that has dogs. I guess it's a rescue place, but I mean, and he's great. He's just terrific. And then uh, my wife found the second dog at work that someone was keeping holding as an, as a foster mm-hmm. dog. And the dog just fell for her, and she just fell for the dog. And uh, that's the end of that story right there. My hate for the dog is not important <laughs> to, to anyone else in the family, <laughs> apparently. It's, Why do you hate the dog? I, it's that's – I'm half kidding. I mean, that's, that's too strong a word. It's uh, – She's, uh, you know, you get off on the wrong paw, so to speak. But I mean, she's always yipping. Whenever I try to reach my hand out and you pet her a little, mm. and uh, she'll go, hey, you know, she'll bite me. But I don't, so I don't know really what to do. And she's always taking things from the other dog, the one I just adore. And my wife always says, that's just them playing. Well, not to me. Doesn't look like that to me. Mm-hmm. It looks like... uh I'm not saying she's a thief and a whore. <laughs> I know it sounds like I just said it. But I'll bet you a dollar she's listening to this show right now mm, just to hear just, what I might say about her. That's just like her. You know what? Actually, it is. <laughs> so anyway, so we do have a couple of dogs. And uh, I could always go with I didn't know that. We'd have a bunch of things. I wasn't against, uh, there really wasn't a say that I had or our kids about uh, getting this other one. My wife fell for her and she fell for my wife. So I take it she doesn't treat your wife that way. No, they have, and my wife is a tough customer too with animals and knows how to, well, rough house with them and play and the dog loves rough housing with her and then biting me. But but I don't care. It doesn't bother me. So in any way, good question in any case of uh, would there be more? Sure. I guess you never know in life what you're going to wind up doing or who you're going to have. Maybe a couple of cats. I don't know what goes on with animals, really. I just love the one I love. And uh, my wife loves the one she loves. And, uh, and she thinks they really play well together. So now I just have to figure out a way to have her not listen to this show. <laughs> oh, you were saying your wife is going to be listening. I thought you were saying the dog is going to be listening. I was saying oh, okay. the dog is All going right. to be listening. But I was just teasing about that. You know, my 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 wife, God bless her, she's a real she's really like that uh, you know, the St. Francis statue, you just stand there with your arms open and all the birds come to you. That's my entire understanding of religion right there, by the way. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that helps anyone. Uh, Lee Bruns also says, and someone else asked this too, whose name is not on the tip of my tongue. What is the hamper status? Good question. Wow, that makes me feel so good. It's 
First of all, it's better than it was. And that is our hamper now. I haven't caught my wife doing anything bad to it. Although no, I know she does. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a good hamper. It's a bigger and tougher, stronger than the one we had before it, which used to bulge out like a man with a big belly. Mm. And so, you know what? Thank you for asking. But so far, I think that hamper is all right. Now, at this very second, if my wife is in the house, in our bathroom, and she's going after it with an axe, <laughs> I just want to say, honey, please stop. <laughs> Not because it'll save that hamper, but because I can always get another one. Colonel Jeff Fox would like to know who's on the mountain. Tom Mix. <laughs> 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 we have that on our show a lot. It's based on everything talking about the Larry, the Larry Miller website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And rhythmically, that always just sounded to me. I always follow it with, after saying LarryMillerPodcast.com, who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> I love them. And Jeff always puts together things like that, that and Tom Mix, God bless him, was a great American star, a Western star from also Silent Days. And he was friends with and at Wyatt Earp's funeral. Most people don't know that, that the great Wyatt Earp lived all oh, the last years, 10 years of his life or more in Los Angeles with his wife. And uh, he uh, always, there's a, Musso and Frank is the oldest restaurant officially, I think, in Los Angeles. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. It's a great place to eat. It's been here since 1917. And that's when Wyatt Earp was there all the time. It's more than, well, it's neat to me that you can walk up to that bar and stand there and put your leg up on that rail and you're standing exactly where Wyatt Earp stood and has hit, had his drink for about 12 years there. That goes right into the next question. Lisa Loves J-Mo's says, which bartender makes the best martini at Musso and Frank's? Oh, boy, good question. First of all, the one time we have Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris, who was our sound engineer and is currently studying flog dancing, clog dancing, rather, at the University of Solvang, which is a real place, by the way. I wonder what happened to him. <laughs> That's a real place, by the way. That's uh, north of uh, Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. But uh, so he's not working with us anymore. And yet the first time we had our big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in a different place. That's the rule of it. Mm -hmm. And we had those two drinks at Musso and Frank. And we got, we went to a barber shop in the Los Feliz area because it's right near my chiropractor, and it's, they give a full shave, meaning, uh, you know, the stropping on the leather. They give a real right. barber shave that you don't see a lot. And uh, the, so after we all met there, this was the, the night of that first dinner, and we all got shaves there and then brought with us a suit and shirt and tie <laughs> and How fancy fun. shoes. I call fancy shoes, meaning you have to tie them. Mm -hmm. That's and fancy. It is. And then from there, with our new barber shaves, we went 
to Musso and Frank for our first two drinks, and I had martinis. Where did you change? In the back room of the barbershop. Mm. You know, where else? Would, would of course, just, right. And the, ori- the original plan was that we were going to walk from the barbershop in Los Feliz into Hollywood, and it was going to be called the Million Martini Mart. <laughs> but then we realized it was a lot farther in person than it looked on the map, and we thought better of that. Yeah. That's just, right. Just drove. And Colonel Jeff is right. And also we realized a million is a lot of martinis. It really the, is. It's, in fact, too much. Mm-hmm. But in any case, that we had the two there, and the, the bartender there... I can't remember his name. I want to say Manny. I think you may be right. I think you may be right. And you know what, though? It was a heck of a martini. Yeah. It was, no kidding around, pretty great martini. And it's not that easy to make those. I've wondered over the years, how did he do that? And because I watch. How? Because I can't make them that good. And I think I'm doing the same sort of thing. But I'm not. He had that brisk move with the... The spoon where he had the ice in the mixer and he would, he didn't swirl it, but he would kind of stab it and spin it at the same time. That's right. Rather than shaking it. That's right. And somehow that made it great. And I don't know, either at Musso and Frank, good question, who the best bartender is there. But Manny that night was sure pretty good and makes a heck of a martini. And there are a couple of places over the years where either I'm on the road or in Beverly Hills, all dressed up again with another fresh shave and with my wife, and I've had a martini and, and just said to her, you know what, this is a heck of a martini. So good question. And one of these days, we'll have to get back there again and see who's good. Lisa Murphy says, does Larry Miller have any regrets? Wow, Regrets. I think the uh, great Sinatra song lyric comes to my mind. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. And uh, I guess I'm just singing that because it's a great lyric. I don't know that I'm very grateful. I'm here alive again. Very grateful. And for you and all of you out there, too, who woke up today. And I always say this at the end of my show, that, uh, and you know what? If you walked out of bed today and uh, and had a job and came back to a home where someone cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And I believe that. But regrets, I don't know, folks. There's so much bad in the world, as you all know. Do I regret that? Well, sure, I guess you do too. But we're so lucky. We're born Americans and... Boy, oh boy, we're in a place that, well, your only regret may be the too little ice in the Arnold Palmer. <laughs> um, so we talked in October of 2013. When was your accident again? Oh, let's see. Uh, three, About three years ago, a little more than three years ago. So it was... Because was, we, we talked after that. I was just trying to remember like what the, how much after it was. I want to say it was... Wasn't it like in early summer? Does that sound right? Could have been, sure, because it was in- Because I know that I, that we went, my husband and I and Jeff, um, were at your son's bar mitzvah. And that, actually, I don't I feel like that was at the beginning part of the year. Maybe I'm uh, Near the beginning the part, but in, any, but in any case, yeah, I, and speaking of being grateful, by the way, 
Yeah, I had that accident. You may want to put that word in quotes, but I had too much to drink, and I went outside to bum a cigarette and have one on the sidewalk, which shows you how much I had had to drink because I don't smoke. <laughs> but I did that. I smoked the cigarette, and I slipped on the sidewalk. Whoever slips on the sidewalk, by the way? The answer is no one, really. Right. And I fell backwards and hit my head on the sidewalk and split it like a walnut. And I mean, and I'm going to talk about this in my next one-man show because they called the ambulance, which was around the side. This bar, I don't even want to name them yet until they say it's okay, but they had an ambulance around the side in case you wouldn't Was this a tough bar? The ambulance is there always. <laughs> and, you know, sort of like the old bank robbers, why do you, you know, rob the banks? Well, that's where the, where the money is. <laughs> but so they, you know, took me to Cedars uh, Sinai. And boy, they, they, they take the top of your head off and they, because they got, let it enlarge to heal. Mm-hmm. Right. They put you in a coma. That's right. And they, on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I died. And in case some of you are listening out there thinking, wasn't this a comedy show? <laughs> but you know what? That shows you again how one thing leads to the other. I died and went to heaven, but not through the front, not through the gate. Didn't see my parents or anybody. There was no river. They took me in through the back. There is a back. And I went into uh, God's office, and we had a long meeting. He was very mad, which is, again, something else you don't want to see. And I'm bringing this up. There's so many details in it, but without really starting something I can't finish right now, I'm here to tell you that I won the argument because everybody asks to go back, and I made a good case for being sent back. So I was sent back, and I'm still not doing what I was told to do. But that's uh, so that's some of some of the drama that I'll uh, talk about in this uh, next show. And it's it's going to be funny, too, because everything important is. It's dramatic and funny. I have 5,000 questions, but I feel like all of them will be answered in your one-man show. So when can I see that? Uh, let's see, in, a, in about an hour. No. <laughs> I but, mean, approximately. Pardon me. There's a lot of work to do on it, mm-hmm. and I'm still writing. That's the thing about a good script and a good show. Someone has to write it. And that has to be, well, people like us. Well, what I was going to ask is, do you feel that you've changed since the accident? I hope so, because I was ordered to change. And not by anybody's secretary. I do. I have, I always had faith, but I'm telling you now, folks, it's whatever you believe or think you believe, it's there. And you're going to be there. And you'll either get sent back as a cow or get sent down you know where. Or you'll go meet all your loved ones at the river there. But it's it's no – that's not a joke. That's a – guess what's going to happen now, potato head? And uh, you know, you're going up in a beam of light as I was. And you're saying to the guy in the next beam of light, wow, so this is it, huh? And he said, mm-hmm, and, uh, but I was sent back. Thank God I recovered. I got out of the coma. And there's a true story, by the way, about this. 
this is true. My my wife was taking the kids to school, and she's a comedy writer and would go then to see me at the hospital when I was in a coma, too. And uh, she'd spend an hour there with me and then go to work uh, to write jokes, which is a wonderful thing to do. And hard to do, I imagine, when your husband is in a coma. Yeah. I have to ask her about that. <laughs> but, yeah. And then after work, she'd go pick the kids up at school and uh, the, for baseball and football practice, and then they'd, she'd bring them home and make them dinner and you know, take care of everything, put them in the baths and uh, get them, you know, ready to get into bed. Then she'd uh, she'd come to see me again at the hospital and stay with me from, say, uh, 9 to 11. And I was in the uh, section where people are when they have the top of their heads taken off and they're in a coma. And one night, then she was, she'd always get home just right, right about midnight and get ready to go to, to uh, well, sleep and then get up. And one night, I remember I'd been in the coma 10 days, and she uh, she came home after seeing me at the hospital and went out onto the little terrace outside our, our bedroom, and she yelled at God. She screamed, and she said, I can't take this anymore. Take him or give him back and heal him, but do it now. And she was really angry, and she came the next day, after taking the kids to school, and uh, and she saw the doctor at the nurse's station there, and he was filling out some kind of report on a clipboard. And she walked over to say good morning, and uh, and uh, she walked over, and he said, he smiled, and he and he looked at her, and he said, "Oh, Mrs. Miller, it's good to see you. I have some good news for you. Your husband came out of the coma last night, and I th- he said, I think he's past the danger point, the." the death point mm-hmm. and uh she said she felt herself starting to cry and to shake a little bit and she said to the doctor excuse me do you know what time last night he came out of the coma and he said midnight and this actually happened she said well she's a great comedy writer anyway but this is part of the same theme mm-hmm. drama is comedy and comedy is drama and she started crying, and the doctor said, tears of joy. And she said, well, no, it's just that if I knew this was going to happen, I would have asked for something like new furniture or something, you know, <laughs> or carpeting, drapes, something. <laughs> if I knew this was that real, that yeah. it happens. But that's that's actually true, that she said and felt these things. And there, she, she, the doctor took her into my room, and I was conscious, but very deeply, well, spun out there. Mm-hmm. I'd been in a coma for 10 days. Oh, and dead. But she, we held hands. The doctor said it's okay. And we had a little thing of squeezing hands we did when we were dating. Mm-hmm. And there's, well, there's much more that belongs in a show. That's really amazing. Yes, thank you. And I agree. It is. And true. Okay. Going back to the questions, McWolf says, can you share a story from making best in show? The chemistry between you and Catherine was incredible. My favorite movie of all time. First of all, thank you. That's great to hear. And I 
I, I, those are great movies. I have so much respect and affection for, well, Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy and their, Karen Murphy is their producing partner and they're really great. And Christopher Guest as a director is always saying he has very long takes, not just the take of what you'd normally think a scene would be five seconds or 20 seconds, but several minutes where he'll say, okay, you know what? That sounds interesting. Start there. Again, um, pretend you're going here, but then start there and do that and see where the, see where that takes you. And so I I think the same thing. Best in Show is a wonderful movie. And I agree with you. Good Lord. Catherine O'Hara, come on. These people are <laughs> fabulous. They're just unbelievably good. I still think Fred Willard may be the funniest man in the history of America because he looks and sounds just like a great junior high principal would sound somewhere in the Midwest. But he has an extra chromosome somewhere that makes him hysterical. I mean, I remember being on location on these these movies with him and being in the elevator together. He's a great guy. Coming down on an elevator together and having me and uh, you know, having him just say, uh, it sounds small, but they're not. It's, Do you like your room, Larry? I think they have good rooms here. And uh, <laughs> so again, it sounds normal. But when he said it, it's hysterical. I like the buffet on Sundays. And he's being serious. But it doesn't come out as serious. He's in the right business. Show business is perfect for him. And he and his wife, Mary, are great people. But, yeah, they're just, again, in the right business. So in that movie, good question. But stories from that movie, well, Chris Guest at a certain point told me to kiss Kathleen at the start of the scene. And that was, I think, a surprise for everyone. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, make it because you used to go out and make it a, you know, make it a kiss. I said, all right. And I did. And she was holding the dog. And I, so as soon as they got in the house, we were still in the living room. And uh, I would take the dog out of her arms. All right. And just, you know, with a big smile and uh, give the dog to someone and then just take her in my arms and kiss her. (laughs) And I'm awfully glad the times that phone rings and it's him calling and he's so funny to say, uh, what are you doing now? <laughs> well, we're going to make a movie, but it's wonderful. And thank you for asking it. How did you meet him? Well, I don't, I, I don't think I know. I mean, he heard about me and said some of his friends he respected said good things about me and he called me. On our, you know, at the house there mm-hmm. for, uh, oh, come on. What was the, the first, uh, oh, where the, the high school, I'm the mayor of the town, Waiting for Guffman. It's a wonderful movie. It's a terrific movie. It's just as funny and silly and grounded as anything could be and very touching. Parker Posey is great in everything she does anyway. But what a cast. What a group of knuckleheads this guy puts together. Bob Balaban and, well, again, Eugene Levy. Good Lord. Fred Willard. We had a game we were playing at someone's house out back when they're filming. This is another one. Maybe this may be the uh, Academy Award movie. Why can't I remember any of these names? Shouldn't I know this? But we there were about eight or ten of us playing in a circle. We were just sitting with chairs around a little table next to a pool at night. And we would play that game with movies where you... The last letter of the movie oh, named right. is something or other. And then you name another movie right. starting with that letter. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you something. We played about two hours. 
And we were crawling. We were laughing so hard. <laughs> and fun. I mean, the whole cast just slapping the concrete, laughing so hard. And I remember Bob Balaban, who I just adore. He's what a great actor. And the next, we had so much fun that the next night, getting prepared, the same way it was all night shooting. And he was driving his car. This was in, well, here in Los Angeles. And he saw me walking to the set and uh, he rolled his window down and he just had such a great warm smile and said, do you think we could do that again tonight? Oh. Do you think we could get together like that again? And I, uh, yeah, I was touched by it and I, and I agreed. And I said, you know what? Let's, uh, let's see what happens. Who knows? Maybe let's try and nudge that forward. But last night, Sure was good. And he just nodded and smiled and he drove off to get his makeup on. Okay. And lastly, Paul Zuttles says, where did I am Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all come from? Oh, (laughs) that's a good question. uh, I say that at the beginning of every show that, uh, welcome back to the Larry Miller show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? (laughs) And, I just love, and I know Jeff does too, silly is a great word for comedy. And I, where it came from is, well, me, but the, you're in the moment, whatever that is, and that just felt and still feels like a great thing to say. It's just fun and and just a little nonsensical, mm-hmm. but, but a great nonsensical. But I love, I love the silly, absurdist stuff. Yeah, so do I. There's not only nothing wrong with it, there's everything right with it. Mm-hmm. Terrific stuff. Silly is sometimes the greatest thing in the world. But thank you for asking. I wish there were, let's see, there's no better story than where did it come from? Well, when you're a comedy writer and a comic, it comes from there. And let's do a very fast, abbreviated, just mirror everyone with full jingle though. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. This is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me? Is it everyone? And we say whether we also feel these things. Noah says, I feel immense guilt when I vacuum up loose change. I don't. I feel like coins have had their day. And that day is no longer. You, you you may be right, but first of all, I I thought you meant Noah. That is when you said Noah says this, like, like the biblical Noah. Yeah. Oh no, I meant Noah, like uh, Noah, uh, a guy who follows me on Twitter. No, first of all, he should. But uh, when you said that, and then Noah says, <laughs> "Oh, I see." Like I'm like I'm quoting scripture. Yeah. Wow, holy <laughs> mackerel. This Just Me or Everyone segment has taken a strange turn. <laughs> you know, you remember you're talking to a guy who sat in God's office. Right. But at any rate, uh, maybe coins have had their day, but I don't think so. I like the thought of coins. But, but, but would you feel guilty if you vacuumed them up? That's a lot of vacuuming. I, I, I guess I kind of want to say. Yeah. I mean, can't you, you pick up the cushions from the couch? Shouldn't they be right there? That's right. In the giant wallet that is your couch? <laughs> yeah, and uh, plus I like the the romance and the design of coins. I don't mean from 
you know, 3,000 years ago, the founding of Jerusalem. I mean, you know, the, boy, they had some great coins then, I guess. But I, I mean, I like that, I like the old English pounds, that these thick, heavier coins. And uh, I like a lot of our coins, too. But I understand what you mean. It's not as if we use them that much. And it's not, but I wish we did. In fact, on that movie I just did, I left a silver dollar on the night table in the hotel. And uh, I felt pretty stupid about that because that's something I always carried to remember my mom. Mm. And Why silver dollar? Well, now, you got me there. I don't know. It wasn't that. And she always loved silver dollars. (laughs) I don't think we ever spoke about them, but somehow that coin always made me think, well, that's her coin Mm -hmm. to me. But it's uh, someone else's coin, maybe one of the maids now. But I'd like to see more coins. I'd like to see us use more coins. But I understand also that you might have three and a half pounds of metal in your right pants pocket. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to give them up yet until we think about it and, and, and try and design better coins. Do you know the word for someone who collects coins? And this is not a joke. It's just a fancy word. Oh, wait a minute. Is it philatelist? That's a stamp collector. But it's so close that it's about the same size. Don't you get something for that? Don't I get you like... Get, yes, you do. You get runner-up. <laughs> but what we're looking for, I believe, is numismatologist. That's right. Or numismatist? Let's find out, Jeff. It might be numismatist. I'm not sure. But, well, mis- but we're both in the ballpark of it. I think together we make one normal person. <laughs> or two wrong people. It really depends on <laughs> how you're looking at it. Or just two people who are wrong. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, Wendy says, why is the term manslaughter a step down from murder? It sounds way worse. Um, I would have to agree. It does sound, it's more graphic and and violent sounding. You know, she has a point there. Manslaughter. Yeah, the word slaughter is, well, slaughter. But on the other hand, I think there's something timelessly unstoppable about the word murder. It's, It's a little more slick. It just feels a little meaner to me, a little, a little more vicious. It's murder, mm-hmm. and it's isn't it? You know, you're supposed to the first degree murder. You you plan it, you've thought about it beforehand, and then you carry it out. And then, as I don't, I wouldn't know offhand, but manslaughter isn't manslaughter just? Uh, Is it accidental? We both look at Jeff as if he's been brought up on these charges. When you were tried for manslaughter, what were the what was the situation? Arrested, but never. Convicted. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> I don't know the difference. I think manslaughter is involuntary, mm-hmm. meaning that you killed someone. Maybe it was an accident with your car, or maybe you were negligent and right. Died. It wasn't premeditated. It I wasn't think. premeditated, but it wasn't intentional. I think. Right. That feels right. That sounds about right. Yeah. It's kind of also lucky that our country isn't well. The mind who runs, you know, over the centuries, some of the knuckleheads we've had, but. That we're not making up the rules of all, where all rules to us start with, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's good they have books that this stuff is in. Sometimes it doesn't quite help, but I think it's good that there are books. Right. But it's better than if it was just like the oral tradition. I think so. I think so. According to the internet, manslaughter is an unlawful killing that doesn't involve malice aforethought, intent to seriously harm or kill or extreme reckless disregard for life. So it involves less moral blame. Right. I think 
your honor. <laughs> All right. So is it news newsmetologist or newsmeticist or neither? Numismatists. Oh, Larry, I think you're right. It sounds right, but And then there's the numismatic which is the study or collection of currency including coins, tokens, paper, money and related objects. Like paper clips? Yeah. No, wait a minute. Isn't a numismatic the guy who does stretches with you? Teaches you the you know which way to bend the, the calisthenics, the yeah. news, news newsmatic calisthenics. You know what, Alice's husband is uh, by the way is a numismatic. Really, <laughs> he's so limber. Yeah, he can touch his toes without bending his knees. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I started this almost being able to say the word, and with each subsequent time I've tried to say it, now nothing that is even like the word is coming out. It's just nooms. Yep. I've lost it. Yeah. Numismatist? Numismatist. Numismatist. Boy, that's what I get for coming out guns blazing with my, hey, do you know this fancy word? All right. And lastly, Nicole Goodwin says, just mirror everyone. Can't sleep if there is even a hint of light coming from an electronic device in the room. There's a twist here. But I'm afraid of the dark. I didn't think it was going to go that way. Um, No, I'm not that way. Uh, Ever since I had a baby... I don't know why, but for some reason, we never fully turn the lights out in our room. I think it's because someone's always up. I mean, not anymore, but at the beginning, it's like, oh, we don't observe nighttime anymore. The baby certainly doesn't. So it's just like somehow there's always a light on and someone is always sleeping with lights on. So um, I would prefer to sleep in total darkness, but I'm able to sleep when it's light. That makes sense to me, frankly. I don't – that doesn't sound – crazy or odd in any way and so that's the way you're doing it you know it's not you know when the kid gets to be 11 if you're still right all cuddling together with the lights on i think you should probably stop move on <laughs> but no that's fine now it sounds good to me what about you do you need it to be dark pitch dark no i don't think so and i like a little uh light from the street coming through the curtains just a little. It doesn't have to be a light that you see, but I like being able to see around the room a little. Especially you wake up in the middle of the night and you go to the bathroom or something. Boy, it makes it does make you think, though. Yeah, it's another one of those five hundred or a few thousand years ago. You didn't have a lot of streetlights, so what did they do? Went to sleep. Wake up and there's another one of those big black slabs in front of the cave. Oh, come on! <laughs> Larry Miller, it was so nice catching up with you. Same here. Tell everyone where they can find you and uh, plug anything you want to plug, etc. Thank you. The, the uh, My podcast is The Larry Miller Show, and you can go to iTunes or our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> Boy, I always think after that one on on the show, every time that saxophone blats there, I always just say, oh, I should have had the fish. Uh, and Oh, and that movie I, I just did, I still think the greatest title in history, The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. <laughs> so everyone should look for that for sure. But uh, yeah, let's... Let's both just keep doing the work we were made to do, all three of us. 
Jeff, where can we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And follow me on Instagram, please, because my follower number is just stuck. It'll go up a tiny bit and then down and up and then down, up and down. I can't take it any longer. It just needs to go up. I'm at Allison Rosen on Instagram. Okay. Thank you so much for doing the show. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? Rosen is your new best